Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Reconfiguring my entire editorial strategy. Oh, is that so? So, yeah, it, so it turns out the company that, unsurprisingly, the company that I've written about the most, and this is something that you can see now on Shichaki 4.0. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked since I launched Shichaki 4.0. I launched a new version of the website. Congratulations. It looks awesome. Well, thank you. It actually worked out well that I was launching it last week, which was the uh, – which was the about the five year anniversary of launching Shakira as a whole, so it was kind of a nice sort of sort of match there, and also matched the fact that uh, I was going to be away and we weren't going to be able to re- record a podcast. Mm-hmm. So, so the fact I didn't actually write an article and I, we weren't going to record a podcast uh, worked out perfectly. So, so there you go. Good, good, you good planning. It. Good, yes. good planning on my part. If I might say so, so myself, c- celebrating the birthday with a holiday. Exactly. Exactly. Anyhow, uh, it was one of the things you can see if you go to like the, the, the one of the things about Shakira Four is there's a new search experience. If you go to the search experience, if you just go to sort of the blank page. Uh, because there's like a filtering aspect where you can filter by companies or concepts mm. or topics. So it's like, that's kind of the big thing. It's like there's this kind of rich taxonomy that, that is now applied to trajectories. You can find old articles or kind of explore new stuff. But anyhow, you can see you can see the companies that I've written about the most because they're by definition at, at the top there. And unsurprisingly, uh, no one will be shocked because I write about technology. Uh, what is the what is the company that I've written about the most? Uh, I would have to uh, hang on. The company that you've written about the most. I, I mean, uh, it's one of four. It's like Apple, Facebook, Google, or Amazon. I'm not sure which one actually wins that, though. Uh, it's a- Apple. Apple? It's by a lot. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think part of it is is when I started was kind of the Apple. tail end of the smartphone wars. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and for sure, like, my whole first like, – my first couple of years was – there's a ton of Apple. Like, I think much more than now. And in part, that was a, a function of one. It was a company that I felt I understood the most, uh, in, in part from having worked there. And also, like a lot of folks, you know, it was just a company that I followed very closely for for a long time. And as I've always talked about that, I found them very fascinating from a mm-hmm. business perspective. You know, I, I was actually relatively late to using Apple products, but the company has always been very different. But also, just that was the smartphone era. And every, like, nearly every day you were writing about smartphones, what was happening in Apple and Android and iOS and, and going into China, you know, the iPhone six and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's, that's pretty front front mm. heavy, but it's, it's Apple by a long shot. It, it, it's actually not close. Google is second. It actually surprised me that Facebook was not second. Facebook is third. Uh, Microsoft is fourth and Amazon is fifth. Oh. So definitely, definitely, definitely the big five, but, but it turns out. So this week I, I noticed I was getting a fair bit of activity about Articles and I, I actually never check my stats, which is kind of the nice thing about my business model. Like I, I know how many subscribers <laughs> I have, but I rarely know how many pages I have. Mm. And, and uh, but there's a lot of tweets about the article this week, and it turns out I, I wrote an article about Microsoft this week that was my second most popular article ever. Wow. Uh, which was yeah after Amazon's new customer, and not only that, it turns out that Microsoft has like three of the top ten. Uh, so so th- and it, which is weird because I mostly am attuned to how popular article is based on like social media, mm. and there was a fair bit of tweeting about this article this week, but not like crazy amounts. But I think Microsoft, by virtue of like the the people that care about Microsoft stuff, are probably mm. less likely to be tweeting a lot on social media, and so I think there's like, the dark web of like email and stuff that whereas it gets passed around, and it kind of blew me away that that. There's Amazon's new customer, which is, you know, we've talked about before. It was just, just by far the biggest article I've ever written. But but number two, after a week, uh, the, the end of Windows. So so there you go. Wow. It's all those Microsofties on the, like, using Outlook as their social network because they don't have Twitter <laughs> on their Windows phone. <laughs> something, something like that. But yeah, it, it, it's kind of weird. So, so I'm uh, going to have to reconfigure Stachery. No more Apple. Uh, Apple only has one of the top 10, in case you're curious. Uh-huh. And and I'm going to have to talk about uh, nothing but Microsoft and Amazon. Oh, there forward. we go. So, it's, it, we're moving to Seattle. That's right. I mean, I, I, I love Seattle. Happy to be back. Very good. 
Anyhow, our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent. Whether you'd like to build a personal blog, a business site, or both, or build a site writing about Amazon and Microsoft, uh, <laughs> creating your website on WordPress.com helps others find you, remember you, and connect with you. You don't need experience. They guide you through the process from start to finish and take care of the technical side of your site up and running. Their customer support team is made up of WordPress experts eager to help you get the most from your site, and they are available to help 24 hours a day, Monday through Friday and weekends. Plans start at just $4 per month, and all plans include a custom domain name for the life of the plan. Oh, I, I, you know what? I, I figured you already owned 24 by 7, so I, I couldn't, I, I didn't, I didn't let you, I didn't let you go. <laughs> I was actually nervous. It's like being two weeks. I can't remember the script. I was very glad you didn't test me then. <laughs> I was, I was I'm in the zone. What can I say? Mm-hmm. Go to WordPress.com slash exponent to get 15% off your website today. That's WordPress.com slash exponent. I did enjoy that we got the backlash to the backlash. Mm. Whereas whereas last time I made fun of you because a bunch of Australians said that we don't say 24 mm-hmm. by 7. And then a bunch of people came to your assistant I saying, know. like, no, I say 24 by 7. So you rubbed it in and then I then all all, all the, the the backup all arrived. I appreciate it, folks. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> By the end, the goal is by by the end of the sponsor run, you're just gonna have no idea what's the actual right way to say it. You're right, gonna be like fumbling with it every single time. Uh huh. Very good. Anyhow, the end of Windows, a title that I I actually kind of regretted a little bit. Mm. I think I talked about this a few years ago. I think in the context of like a, a BuzzFeed title that I had. Not, not that like I think the article, I think the title. The title was right because what I was talking about was the end of Windows as sort of like a driving mm. force in Microsoft strategic decision making, which is really a dramatic sort of thing. And, and and there is the end of the Windows division. The reason why I kind of regret it, particularly once I realized it was it was getting kind of popular, is I, I didn't mean it clickbaity like Windows is going away. Like Windows is going to be around for a long time to come. They're going to keep releasing new versions of Windows. There's going to be PCs running Windows. Like they're not going to like stop developing mm. windows and and i like and again the re- I, I mentioned i never even look at my pages most of the time like i'm not in this for clicks like i i i don't want to do that like i maybe would have called it the windows division or something a little less catchy but like i, I didn't want to insinuate something that wasn't going on but at the same time <laughs> it still is the end of windows yeah I, I so i'm going to first of all sympathize with you as a writer i hate titling things and uh, if you end up a little bit being a little bit more provocative in a title, I'll forgive I'll forgive you it. But like I, I thought about it more in terms of so so I know you were coming at it from the perspective of division and it was probably interpreted in terms of, oh, Windows is dead. I actually thought about it more in terms of the stack that we've always talked about and how this is basically the internal recognition that in terms of the stack that people are competing on, whether it's desktop OS, mobile OS, thinking about search engines and social like this is basically the end of of the the desktop era like this is this is the company that dominated it basically saying okay we're not even going to have a division designated to it anymore yeah i mean it's really i mean it, it's pretty astounding in many ways and what's what's so astounding about it i think particularly for someone like me just because i i worked at microsoft and worked in windows specifically is it's one of those things where I mean, there, there's nothing surprising here. You know what I mean? Like we we've been like anyone could have said this was the case a decade ago mm. that that you know in the long run this isn't going to be the future. And, and you know, and and I mentioned in here that you know when I started Strategy, my first articles was saying you know Microsoft needs to get away from this Windows centric strategy and go mm. to a more service oriented strategy. Just that's the nature of the sort of company they are, and that makes sense in a 
in, in a mobile future. Remember, this is the, you know this is the center of like the smartphone time, as I just just talked about. But it, it's one of those things where it, it, the reason why this is still sort of amazing, this news, is it's one thing to sort of say what a company should do, mm. and it's another thing entirely for a company to actually do it, and. and and that's true generally, and it's particularly true when you're talking about a product like Windows that is one of the one of the was was always thought of as the most successful product of all time until the iPhone came along. So now, oh, I'm sorry, you have to be demoted number two, the, the best product uh, of all time. Yeah, I mean, there there are so many different ways in on this. Like just backing up a little bit, that it was Microsoft is one of the few organization that was uh, that have been able to pull off both a vertical and a horizontal strategy simultaneously. That they could provide services, but also it was it was predicated on this vertical operating system strategy. And the extent to which they pulled it off was really kind of. It, it was amazing. And then, like, you think about having, like you said, the most successful product of all time and the culture and everything that stems from that, changing that, changing an organization, changing the culture, changing the priorities. If you come in and you design something from scratch, no better example is there than this. You, you, you create it from scratch and, yeah, you build it to the conditions. But when you have everything kind of ossify around this success to come along and to say, oh, recognize that the smartphone era has come along. And and Bulma, like, he, he couldn't see it coming. Like, he was fighting it the whole way along, even after the writing was on the wall. It's, it's so easy to say, this is what we should be doing. We should shift our priorities as an organization from this to this. But actually, when you have an organization that's had that much success, it is so hard to do. And then to filter that down in the way that Nadella has done it is going to go down as one of the most impressive management feats in history, I would say. So let's sort of reset here. And I actually think it's useful to go back to the start of Windows. And we're going to say stuff that I think a lot of people know, but I think it's mm. really critical to your point, to, to the idea of culture. Where does culture come from? Culture comes from decisions that were made that proved to be successful mm. and the thinking that when any of those decisions becomes embedded in this is how we do things. This is the way we approach the market until it becomes sort of you don't think about it. And this is how companies scale. They scale because everyone does the quote-unquote right thing without thinking about it because mm -hmm. it's just the accepted thing to do. And it's a massively powerful thing. People think about culture, and it's often framed as a negative. Oh, it's hard to change culture. But, but the, the reason why it's a negative in one scenario is because it's such a massive positive the rest yeah. of the time. Totally. I, I absolutely, absolutely. I, or, or mixing it up with things like foosball tables. No, it's like a, a way of shared decision-making process based on what was successful in the past. So you go back. So Microsoft actually started in 1975, uh, building like a basic compiler, which people think they started with, with DOS. No, actually, no, they started, they started out before in, in a very classic story. Bill Gates and Paul Allen actually agreed to build a product before they'd actually built it, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is, is very sort of Microsoft in a way. They've always been very, very responsive to market demands, right? I think I've read about this before. Like companies, like the way they start is really impactful in understanding mm. the way they are today. And that's the case with Microsoft. Microsoft gives people what they want, right? For better or worse. So backwards compatibility, make all this stuff work, get it all work together. They, they will do it and deliver it. And it's very effective. There's no right or wrong way to sort of win a market. And yes, I know like Apple fans, for example, say, oh, it's so cluttered and, and hard to use and all this stuff mismatched together. And but at the same time, that, and they're like, look at us. We've, we flushed USB down 
down the toilet or CD drives, whatever it might be. And, and, and like, that's great. And it's, and I'm grateful we have Apple to push the industry forward, but there's a whole lot of people that actually need their old stuff to work. And Microsoft mm. has always been happy to meet their needs. And that's a great thing. We need both. You bet. Sorry, I was getting a little worked up there. It, so, so, so what happened was, so Microsoft had, had this company, and yeah, and I'm always a little sympathetic to, to, to Microsoft because it's it's a pretty terrible name because it's a portmanteau of microcomputer and software. Uh, and, and as someone who called a site strategy because it's about strategy and tech, I, I definitely share a certain affinity there. Uh, but yeah, um, it, branding out of Redmond, <laughs> right there. Yeah, I started. I started sitting in starting in right. my Bellevue apartment. What can uh-huh. I say? I was. I was. I blame Microsoft. Thank there you. We go. Yes, it's it's Bill Gates' fault. Uh, anyhow, so in nineteen eighty. IBM was this is such a I don't I think this is such a classic story. IBM was looking for an operating system because they were building P, this new PC in a side business down in Boca Raton, uh, mm. Florida, and and they and they were just doing because customers really wanted a, a PC, and I and IBM was like, fine, we'll give you a PC. Like and corporate didn't like really care about it at all, and so they just slapped it together using off the shelf parts. Famous story. They got the processor from Intel. They, they said, oh, we'll design the BIOS. That's how we'll control it, which obviously ended up being a fool's errand. And oh, we need an operating system. System. And Microsoft, just like when they started their, the, the company, is like, we can do it. And like, okay, it's you. And so do you know where the original Microsoft DOS came from? I have no idea, actually. Oh, this is oh, this is great. So the original version of DOS that ran on the original IBM that was the linchpin for one of the most successful companies of all time, the impetus for was they actually bought the operating system from a company called Seattle Computer Products. It was it was a, a there's an o, there's an OES around called CPM and Seattle Computer Products had built a clone of it called 86 DOS that Microsoft bought and rebranded MS DOS and then delivered it to, to to IBM. There we go. That that is an impressive piece of business uh, business. Uh, how would you say it? Like jujitsu, right there. Oh yeah, I mean, so so Microsoft like Microsoft will they will meet your needs and they will do whatever it takes to, to mm-hmm. meet your needs and then profit handsomely off of it. Anyhow, from that point on, everyone knows the story from, from that point on where they, they controlled the operating system immediately because they were attached to IBM. The IBM PC became hugely popular, which people don't understand. Like the, the, the Mac never had a chance. The, the IBM was already hugely popular even before the Mac launched and was, you know, it had the lock in business. It got third party, tons of third party applications built for it. And you got, and it turned out those third party applications, their lock in was with the Windows API, was not with the IBM BIOS or whatever, the, the, you know, they thought they controlled on it and once compaq reverse engineered that bios and started you know making ibm compatible computers and everyone else started doing the same thing what was the sort of what was the linchpin in this entire stack in this entire value chain windows the bios was gone and it was the software Yeah. yeah well it was dos it was yeah, it was DOS, right? And and then the Mac came out and showed, oh, this GUI. And then Microsoft, of course, you know, mm. went and said, oh, we you know, we could do something like that. And and that's how Windows came along. But but the entire point is they they controlled that linchpin, mm. and Microsoft leveraged that to no end. They leveraged it into a GUI, which was which was Windows. You know, you had Mo- they, you had DOS, and they shipped Windows. And most people didn't like Windows because it was terrible, so they still used DOS. And then they Windows got slowly better, and people would still drop into DOS to run applications that that only ran that only ran in, in that sort of environment. And eventually came along Windows ninety five. Obviously, solid, really solidified their 
their their hold broadly, Windows NT, clean up the architecture of town, so so on and so forth until we got where we are today. Then they did stuff like they developed Office, and Office just happened to work better on Windows, and Microsoft will say that was a happy coincidence, and, mm. and their their competitors will say that wasn't such a happy coincidence. And and then they developed Windows Server, which worked best with the Windows that all your your companies were using, and they built Exchange on top of that, and then they had Active Directory, which controlled controlled you know identity and it having that active directory one of the the most profitable free products of all time because what happened was if you wanted to upgrade one part of your backend stack you had to upgrade active directory which meant you had to upgrade everything else that connected to it and they had like this sort of weaver system where you just mm. kept paying microsoft more and more money over time and you were happy to do it because at least it all worked together because microsoft was responsible for making it work together sort of mm. one throat to choke sort of approach and the, the the broader point though is this is a company that through like basically sheer hustle got in got a linchpin it got, got got a choke point in the value chain, and they've been leveraging that for thirty five years, like that, or thirty eight years now. Like that's what Microsoft does: is they leverage Windows into new, in greater, and more profitable businesses. Yeah, and I mean, up until recently, it was it was basically the the dominating force in technology. I mean, it's easy to forget now, given the mobile era and search and social, and it's kind of not as dominant as it was. But there was a period of time, what, 15, 20 years ago, where people just couldn't see a chink in the armor. The, the US government bought antitrust against them because like it, this company is a monopoly. There is no way that anyone can threaten it. That's how much of a, that's how dominant they were as a force. Absolutely. And, and, but that, that, that's important to understand, though, this idea that all of Microsoft's success, and they say, oh, we have like $13 billion businesses or $14 billion businesses. It, it, the reality is all those businesses were predicated on Windows. Mm-hmm. Like they all came from having this sort of dominant hold on the value chain and leverage in, and using that as leverage. And the, the, and so you can understand why. To, to fast forward to when I was at Microsoft and the kind of the run-up to Windows 8. And the thinking was like, we have Windows. We have a billion users who use our, our PCs. And we that that's what we have. If we want to get competitive in tablets, for example, if we want to move forward to, to the future of computing, what's the best approach? Like, I don't know that it was possible for a company like Microsoft to choose anything but leverage Windows. Why? Because that had been the strategy for decades and it had been so successful that it becomes impossible for an organization to choose anything else. Like you can blame Balmer, but there was some extent where the decision was effectively made by virtue of the success that had happened to that point. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy how his reaction to this situation was to double down on Windows and to think, okay, the underlying issue is one of organizational structure. And this was at a time when Apple was pretty ascendant and it's famous for its organizational structure being functional rather than divisional. And he very famously decided to shift Microsoft in that direction. It's interesting to think about his reaction. It's still this notion of Windows first, and he very much played that up. He still thought that, like, and they had all this history pushing them in that direction. We can still get Windows everywhere, and we can still develop a cohesive, integrated experience around all these pieces in mobile in ways that other organizations can't. And again, to the rest of us, it felt like the writing was on the wall, but he was dead set and he picked up Nokia to do it and they were going to market and they were going to win mobile. 
it's a great point because we talk about organizational structure a fair bit. We're going to talk about it more later in this podcast, but it's it's one piece of strategy. It's not it's not a sort of end all be all. Like, and you know, everything has to be aligned, including organizational structure, including your overall sort of strategy. And and this is a great point because the the problem with the reorganization. And I wrote uh, speaking of popular articles, another one of my all time most popular articles mm. was about sort of like why the reorganization was a bad idea and. The, the problem was not just that it was unsuitable for a company like Microsoft, which that article is mostly about. It was that it, it didn't address the fundamental, mm. like, poor strategy that was that was going into it. And, and I quoted from the memo at the time of the organization in this article where, where he, he, the key line is, I'm going to quote, by deploying our smart cloud assets across a range of devices, we can make Windows devices once again the devices to own. Everything was predicated on resuscitating Windows and recentering mm. Windows at, at the center of everything. And and this is where the – you mentioned that Microsoft had both the horizontal and a vertical strategy. That, that's that's the luxury of monopoly. Uh, the luxury of monopoly is you don't need to choose. You, you, like everything is is a – you know there's no or questions. Everything is an mm. and, and, right. and question. And, and the problem is that wasn't the case anymore. The, the monopoly had broken up because personal computing was not just about PCs. It was about – all devices and Microsoft might have still had, you know, ninety percent share of PCs, but their actual share of all devices was like twenty five percent and falling because yeah. smartphones were growing so much faster. And the critical choice that Ballmer sort of refused to make here, or was implicitly making in the wrong direction, was you know, if the, the horizontal strategy you use your devices to drive people to your services, right? And, and, and you're happy to serve other devices because the, the goal is the services. Mm. In a vertical strategy, you use your services to differentiate your devices such that people will, will, will choose yours over an alternative. And for Microsoft, just the nature of the company, they weren't suited to being a, a vertical competitor taking only a small share of the market. Microsoft is the sort of company that was meant to be everywhere and serve everyone. This is something I wrote about in Microsoft's monopoly hangover a, a year ago is that i've talked about there being like the culture of the company and the business mm. model but there's also like the sort of fundamental nature that's kind of different than culture if that mm. makes sense mm -hmm. like culture is culture is you know you think about the the idea it's like in your it, it's something that's a superstructure above like humanity as a whole right at the mm. end of the day there's some aspect of being a human that we are you know we're, we're animals right <laughs> but but we've created this entire sort of superstructure of culture and and, and what we are and and you everything in the world is, is man-made and all the all the and, and i'm not talking about like like country culture i'm talking about like the, this idea of like everything that humanity has created that makes us <laughs> that makes us human it, it's sort of like this superstructure on top of our sort of fundamental nature and 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 then above that there's what like the explicit actions that we choose so there's like there's like a three-part structure at the base is nature above that is culture which is sort of like the the environment in which we swim and then above that is sort of the actions we choose mm. and 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 it's to delineate why do you make decisions what do you do why do you choose what you choose to do all three of those things could impact the sort of decision-making process. You might make a decision because you actually do rationally think about the decision and you make it. You might make another decision because it's just what – it's just culturally – it's what you do. You don't even think about why it's right or wrong. You presume it's right, but it actually you've been sort of like indoctrinated by mm -hmm. your culture that that's what you should do. And there's other things we do. It's just like our, our animalistic nature. <laughs> like it's our instinct. Like, like we, we go and, and do something. And, and these – there are three different – Layers, if that makes sense. 
Uh, it's uh, actually keep going. Is where I'm going with this, right? I think this applies to companies. Mm-hmm. And this is a point I made. I don't remember if we do we podcast after Microsoft. I don't think we podcast after this one. So this is kind of touching on this article, Microsoft's monopoly hangover. Mm. Is I think companies have the same sort of thing where there's what a company should do, like the tactical sort of approach, or, or, or and that's one level. And it's very easy to talk about that level, like, oh, Microsoft should go into services. You know, mm-hmm. they, they should make a, a decision. But there's a level below that, which is sort of the culture. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. Like, the, Microsoft was so used to the idea of using Windows as leverage that it was very hard for them internally to see the right thing to do. That's number, that's sort of the next level. But there's a third level, which is what's the nature of this company? Like, what is this company just fundamentally suited or unsuited to do? And I think in the case of, of Microsoft, it, they're similar to IBM. And this is something that Lou Gerstner really understood in the context of IBM was IBM was just a big company. They were meant to serve to figure out big problems by bringing all sorts of different things to bear. And they weren't suited to being a nimble sort of competitor where they competed by being like uh, as having a superior product, for example. In the case of Microsoft, they weren't meant to be a company that won the operating system where they chose the device because it was superior in user experience, right? Like that's just not what Microsoft does. And once you become big, like they were, you don't become like a svelte athlete like, like you need to be to compete in these areas. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's so interesting in how rapidly the environment changed. And you have this organization that is used to prioritizing in a previous environment and to see it kind of, it's, it's almost like a meteor hit and it's like, it doesn't quite realize what's going on. And to see it kind of operate in its own world where it's like, oh, uh, we had windows, we, we had the vertical, we had the horizontal and we were successful. And then the vertical starts to shake and their initial instinct is to pull the horizontal to try and prop up the vertical. But that's, that's not the way that it typically works. Like, and it, there's this realization that there's an importance around user experience and so the focus is okay well let's look at the companies that have the best user experience they have this different organizational structure let's try and replicate that and use the horizontal to recapture the vertical in this new market without an understanding of the fact that the ecosystem has has moved on and so in 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 the same way that you described earlier the windows api and the applications that were built on top of dos and then windows resulted in it being creating so much lock-in and Apple never having a chance to see this incredible predator that's used to dominating the jungle end up in this environment where it, it wasn't in that position anymore and trying to grapple with it is actually kind of fascinating, right? Right. No, that's exactly it. I, I know I rambled really long there, but I mean, there, to me, this this point was this was one of those really sort of like aha moments because there, there's that famous uh, there's that famous quote usually attributed to Peter Drucker. Although I don't think he actually said it, which is you know culture eats strategy for breakfast, mm. right? And there's and the thinking about that and this is something that that fueled some of my or takes about Microsoft previously where I you know I once said they should be split they should split themselves up because I was so worried about Windows having mm. this dominant hold of the company yeah. and the reason why I was wrong about that is my thinking there was exactly this culture strategy for breakfast which means you have to figure out a way to to break the culture right and, and because your strategy is not going to be successful and what was wrong about that though was it didn't it, it missed the deepest level which is the fundamental nature of a company and Microsoft in my view, is a company that that at 
was meant to be large. It just I don't think you can become a company as large and dominant as Microsoft was. This is the monopoly hangover I was referring to. You don't become as big and dominant as Microsoft was or as IBM was before it. You don't go back to being a a competitor that, that that starts winning on the merits. Like mm. you just you lose it. You lose that capability. So you have to think about we are a big company. What can we do as a big company that actually wh- what market need is there that our nature will be suitable to meet that need. And then we will have to change our culture to serve that need. But it's like it's like there's always a bigger fish, right? If culture eats strategy for breakfast, nature eats culture. And so you you can't change your nature. So yes, you might have to change your strategy and you might even have to change your culture if you want to survive. And, and that's ultimately what this article this week was about, was how did Nadella go about changing the culture that he had to do because the nature of Microsoft is what it was. And what is so remarkable about his efforts over the past five or so years has been the extent to which he has successfully threaded that needle. Because you're talking about three very difficult things to, to like, like going with this this strategy. Like we, we we talked about Facebook last week and how hard it was for that organization even to get that part right. And then you get into culture and you have this incredibly well-defined culture based on on success and a nature of a 30-year-old organization to be able to thread the needle and recognize okay these are the these are the areas we have we are going to not win on a vertical basis in mobile therefore we need to change the organizational culture to get behind this new strategy and how do we set it up so so like one of the ways that you break a culture is like when it stops working when there's a crisis so it's almost like you need to create a crisis in order to make the organization realize that this isn't working anymore, but you have to make sure everybody realizes that and how Nadella put Windows out by itself and it had its own profit and loss and it had to figure out Windows Mobile by itself, but also thinking about the nature and and what the organization is well served to do, and that is to continue to serve customers that are already Microsoft customers and help them transition in the same way Microsoft's doing. Like threading the needles between all those things is so hard to do. And it's incredible how good a job he's done at it. I, I agree. So let's, let's, let's walk through this. What, what happened? And I think the, the crisis that benefited Nadella was the sort of one-two punch of Windows 8 and the sort of Nokia purchase. Mm. Where and Windows Phone, I guess, is kind of like a, a part of that, where it was Microsoft basically did everything possible, uh, you know, recklessly so if, from a financial perspective mm. to succeed in in mobile. They 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 did Windows Phone. They bought Nokia. They did Windows 8. They launched the Surface and then they took a billion dollar right down the Surface. Then they took a huge they would uh, it was clear almost immediately they were going to take a huge right down in Nokia, mm. although it took a few years to actually t- take it. And so I think that was the. That that was probably the first. I, I probably didn't mention that enough in here. Was that that was a critical sort of piece for Nadella to come in, where even if you, for the most ardent sort of Microsoft, you yeah. know, fan inside the company, it was clear the company had failed. Like Windows Phone had failed, mm-hmm. and Windows Eight had failed. And yes, you could have recriminations and arguments about why they failed, but no one could argue that they hadn't failed. Yeah. And, and like that is, that is a critical component to changing a culture like that failure, because all of a sudden it's very real to everybody who's making a, making decisions in a certain way that that way of making decisions anymore isn't going to work. 
Absolutely. So the other real gift, and so that's the first gift sort of Nadella had, was was a realization that something needed to change, I think sort of broadly felt. And then the second gift was, like, Steve Ballmer had kicked off Azure several years before. He had, of course, called it Windows Azure, uh, but there had also been the development of Office for iPad. Like, that, that... I, I don't know that for sure. Like, there's a lot of like rumors about when it started for sure. Uh, my understanding is it, it actually started multiple years before it was launched. Like, mm. the, the idea that Office would would want to be an iPad was not like, like again, it's almost like the strategy was the easiest point here. The idea that Office should be on on, on iOS, <laughs> obviously, it should be on iOS, right? And, and but it gets to how powerful culture can be because obviously it needed to be out there in every. Every minute that it was on iOS was creating an opening for new competitors mm. to come along and serve an obvious market need, and, and and every and so obviously it needed to be there, and it wasn't because the oh we have to wait we have to wait for mm. Windows it has to be on Windows first like we're not going to release it on iOS until it's out on Windows on on, on Windows Mobile on Windows Phone and on Windows Tablet, and that is exactly that is exactly where the trade off is right there like this vertical where you're focusing on propping up Windows versus focusing on keeping the horizontal strong, and the longer you use the horizontal to to kind of like let's get everybody on windows the longer you're leaving an opening for something like google docs or whatever it might be to come along and to to start seeding in this new disruptive wave of growth that's happening on the mobile platform and microsoft not only loses the vertical but then loses the horizontal as well Oh, no question. I think like a company like Box or even Dropbox, arguably, like these, these all these companies that basically came along because using the, the, mm. the sort of office environment on mobile was horrific because Microsoft was not just completely abdicating it. Mm. You, you had a whole host of companies that came along, you know, that 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 sort of filled filled the gap. Like uh, arguably a huge part of the entire SaaS ecosystem was because Microsoft w- w- couldn't accept reality for years. Yeah. Anyhow, so so but, but the great thing was it left this this sort of present for Nadella. So he walks in and what's like the very first thing he does? He 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 comes out and says he has an event. It's like literally like three weeks or four weeks after he becomes CEO, and he introduces Office for iPad. And it like like obviously it wasn't built in three weeks, right? You don't <laughs> you don't build, you, <laughs> but but it was sitting there, and he could put that out there, and it was it was such a powerful sort of symbol. Like it was an easy win, but it like it was putting a stake in the ground. <laughs> Let's stop fucking around here, right? We yeah. Office. It matters. Office actually has a future. So let's get this out the door. And the original version on iPad wasn't that great. And it was ended up being too locked down. They've made a ton of changes to it. None of that matters. Whether Office on iPad is successful actually has absolutely nothing to do with, with, with this at all. What it matters is a symbol and what it said mm. to Microsoft that, oh, wait, like, no, we're not waiting for Windows. Yeah, which which was an interesting problem given timing because at the time Windows 8 had been had not been super well received and this this part of the organization that is so used to being the golden child all of a sudden is like hang on I thought we were doing we were going to leverage all these services to like convince everybody that Windows was the place to be and now the first thing you do is release Office on the iPad how's this work I, yeah, and I messed up actually. That was the second thing he did the day before that that, that keynote. Uh, also renamed Windows Azure to just Microsoft Azure, ah. like which made sense. It was already running like like Linux VMs at that point, right? Like what what like what? Why are we? What's why are we the, pretending? What's the point? 
uh, yeah, why are we pretending? And, and those were and those were the 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 two pillars. Like fast forward to the, the reorganization last week, those are the two organizations. Is really Azure in office for all intents and purposes. And, and it was from day one, like that was the signal. But but it, it, this takes time, right? Microsoft is a huge aircraft carrier. It's it's an ocean tanker, right? You're not gonna to to turn it. You know, it takes miles and miles and miles in a long time. And so you know that that was kind of this big easy win that Balmer kind of put on a plate for for Nadella, whether intentionally or not. Um, I would lean towards not. But, uh-huh. but but it came along, and it was kind of quiet for a while, right? And then finally, around Microsoft's fiscal year, starts July 1st, Nadella comes out with a big strategy memo. And, and there was this big presentation on, like, the website and this big thing, et cetera, et cetera. And what was most interesting about this was, one, he kind of ditched the devices and services, which was exact like, devices and services was saying, we're going to be both horizontal and vertical. Like that, that needed to be ditched, like to, to your point. Mm-hmm. And they were going to be about the productivity and platform company, which isn't great, but it, it's actually, it, it makes more sense. And, and if you think about it, that actually is what Microsoft, again, reorganized to last week. They had the productivity side, which is led by Office and is sort of their productivity app side. And there's the platform side, which is Azure and, and, and building the new platform developers to build on. But the other big thing about this memo that that you you had to sort of be I think just by being someone from Microsoft like I I picked up this immediately and maybe most people didn't was that the word Windows didn't appear in the memo until two thousand words in and you contrast that to Steve Ballmer saying the whole point of this is Windows one Microsoft we're gonna make Windows the center Windows is our wife and blood and and Nadal's like okay so what we're gonna do here's like five points and point number three we're gonna do windows this blah 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 and windows like mentioned like two or three times the entire memo and and if you're in microsoft that absence it, it it's like the loudest thing that you could hear now this is where this threading of the needle becomes so important because like you said at the start microsoft is still dependent on windows as a basis for leveraging things into new customers. And you have this organizational division. Uh, Windows 8 hasn't been so successful. Need Windows tend to be successful to keep everybody, keep all the customers happy. And all of a sudden, this golden child, uh, the, the Windows division that is used to having Bulma saying Windows, 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 is all of a sudden picking up strategy memos from the new CEO and not seeing the word anywhere and like if if you're the the golden child that's being treated like this and the culture's built around it you could very easily start to throw a hissy fit and so Nadella had to kind of again thread a needle here right yeah and this is something that that I totally missed at the time and, and in retrospect you know I'm really impressed and this gets into like it's very easy to say what a company should do to understand how they should do it is another yeah. thing entirely which is why I write a website and I'm not I'm not the CEO of Microsoft <laughs> but but in this there was a there was a, a an announcement about Windows 10 in January I think of 2015 or something like that I can't remember the um, was it 2015 mm-hmm uh, there was a there was a, 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 a announcement about Windows 10, and that's when they used the whole lens. It was all Windows 10, rah rah rah. And I'm watching this like, yeah, Windows 10. And then Nadella gets on, and he's like, oh, we want people to love Windows. Windows is so great. Windows, 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 Windows. He's like a cheerleader for Windows. And and I'm like, I, I, I messaged to a friend. I'm like, I'm like, what is he doing? And 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 I, you see my daily update. I'm like, I, like, why is he making like, why is he backsliding? Like, did did Microsoft get to him? Right? He came in and he had the right strategy. He was doing it, and like, here he is, like, talking about Windows being the center of everything again. And Ghost of Bulma. Yeah, I know. And it, 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 I, like, I really didn't get it. And and Frank and Frank came back, and he's like, he had some thoughts on on various people involved in the organization. He's Nadella has to get Windows 10 out the door. He's gonna do whatever it takes to. 
to get Windows 10 out the door because they are bleeding because, you know, Windows 8 was not was not well received in enterprise in particular. He's got to get out the door. And it, it turns out that was it clearly exactly right. Nadella had to get Windows 10 out the door. And it was such a, you know, in retrospect, you know, it, it, those sorts of moves are the hardest, right? When you feel like you know where you're going, but you have mm. to sort of make yourself look like it's not that Satya Nadella cares what I going to write about him in a daily update, but but you, you need to look dumb because you got to get the right thing done. And that's exactly mm. what he did. And Windows 10 shipped. And within like a week of Windows 10 shipping, he, he did a reorganization that's what really killed Windows. Yeah, I mean, it's it's humility is a valuable asset in so many situations. And this is an example of getting up there and eating humble pie to get the right thing done. And then the reorg is like his way of dropping the axe without dropping the axe right exactly and this is really the key this was the key i think the key to last week's announcement was sort of the finishing off what happened with this reorg which was the reorg split the company into three pieces the three pieces were cloud and enterprise basically where azure's the growth story there but also tied in with mm-hmm. windows server which which is a super important part of the azure strategy going forward we'll get to it in a, in a second uh, number two is applications and services again office 365 is the real growth engine here and number three is windows and devices and what was so key about this was, and you've kind of been hinting at this throughout this, the conversation, was it put Windows sort of in a corner by itself, where it was very clear that these two organizations are going to do what's best for them, and Windows, you do what's best for you, and then we'll and then we'll go from there. They're not going to serve you. They're not subservient to you. You're not subservient to them. You're, you're three different orgs, and go for it. And when you put like this incredible cash cow that is, and you know, you've got people leading this organization, trying to hit targets, do the best they can. And you have the desktop operating system, which remains an incredible cash cow. And you put it next to this thing that is bleeding profusely and being pumped full of blood at a rate that is ridiculous and still bleeding profusely, which is all the mobile stuff. You start to reach the conclusion as a leader of Windows this just doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, well, it, there was actually yeah, there's there was two parts of this. I mean, one was I mean, you, I couldn't understand why Windows Phone was hanging on for so long. Like it was so obviously the wrong thing. And and Adela, you know, I think one of the, one of his qualifications in my mind for being CEO is that he opposed the Nokia deal. Uh, but mm. but Nadella never actually killed it. Right? He basically made the Windows organization kill it themselves. Mm. And what was so funny is the head of the Windows organization, uh, Terry Myerson, wrote this memo when it died, blaming the rest of Microsoft for for Windows Phone death like it's too bad the company couldn't, couldn't come together to support it and it is like it, it was so it, what was so great about it was he had to kill it even as he like blamed the old strategy that was the exact strategy that Adele was trying to undo but like he had to own it and, and, and even though he wrongly blamed the rest of the company that he that he could still think the wrong thing and also make the right decision to finally kill the program was like it was like pure jujitsu. I mean, that is an incredible piece of management to set up the structure such that the person who is most the the, the arbiter, the guardian of the culture, is the one that ends up killing this thing. I mean, and of course, this guy wants to like chain all the boats together, even as as mobile is sinking and it's pulling everything else down, that Nadella managed to get these two off by the side and they were just being judged on their own performance. And then after a while, even no matter how much a believer you are in Windows, just the recognition that this can't 
this can't stay afloat. And the fact that he cuts it and lets it sink, but he's like, oh my gosh, I wish we could have just like chained all the boats together a little longer. It is kind of mind blowing, right? Right. Well, it's another piece of humility too. Like you let him go out there and say all this stupid shit. And, yeah, and like, it doesn't right. matter. Like the, the end game was accomplished. And Wes appreciated was that actually the same thing happened with Windows 10, where Meyerson got on stage and said, we're going to be on a billion devices by 2018. And and it's on like 500 million or something like that. Right. And it, but it was mm. it was another example where Nadella wasn't making saying stupid stuff. He was he was he was empowering Windows. He was empowering Windows to go for it and to make big goals and then to fall dreadfully short. And then like it's like, well. I mean, what can you say at that point? It's not like Nadella told you to say there's going to be on a billion devices. You said it yourself, right? And I mean, he's this is this is like the 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 ghost of Bulma re- represented in this man. He's like going along, and this is what the whole strategy of the organization would have been if Nadella hadn't carved it out and put it to the side where the damage could be contained. And again, just a very impressive. Uh, impressive managerial effort in getting the how exactly right such that the organization came to the right answer by itself without him forcing it on them. That's exactly right. And so, and this is what led to last week where Windows is basically split in two pieces where there's the sort of like application side of Windows for, for lack of a way to put it, which is like the actual user part of the operating system and, and, and the services that go into it. And there's like the core piece of Windows, like the kernel and, and all that sort of stuff. That, mm. So the kernel side is going to the Azure side. It's still like the foundation for for a lot of their cloud services and stuff like that like which is fine which is fine it's built i mean it's, it's at the end of the day it's like uh, it's a kernel and the other side mm-hmm. is you know office 365 is is morphing into microsoft 365 which is not just office but also sort of like identity management and device management and now windows and the idea is is offering this sort of full-scale offering that meets all the needs of an organization when it comes to managing mobile devices and, and handling mm. email and, and documents and all that sort of stuff. It, it's a very sort of cogent strategy that mm-hmm. critically fits the nature of Microsoft. Like Microsoft wants to meet all your needs. I go back to Microsoft wants, like Microsoft from the beginning, they want to meet the customer's needs. That's what they do. They figure out what the customer wants and then they mm. meet the needs by any means necessary. Like that, that's that's the nature of the company. That's who they are. That's not going to change. And that's what that organization is going to do. They're going to figure out how to meet, meet customer needs. And on the service services side, their goal again is to be everywhere. It's to serve all needs. It's to do everything. It's to be responsive to the market and, and to like just and to just compete and, and 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 both of them are in line with Microsoft's nature and but mm. to get there they had to break the culture of of Windows and and that's that that's been done yeah and it's been done impressively i i mean a couple of things spring to mind listening to you say this it's going to be that they are still going to benefit from the legacy of having windows in the past and all the organizations that have sprung up using microsoft but it's going to be interesting watching them compete going forward without without it necessarily being without the benefit of that vertical windows everywhere now all these services are really going to have to compete very much on their own merits and it's going to be interesting to see how they do that but like you said they have always had this kind of very responsive build what the customer wants nature and i think it will serve them well but i guess the broader point for me is I remember in undergrad doing management, thinking about organizational structures and, you know, you get told about the divisional organizational structure and here are the pros and here are the cons. 
And the functional organizational structure, and here are the pros, and here are the cons, and it's a very abstract thing. And I, I started to get much more interested in this from an applied perspective with Apple because it was one of these organizations that got that got really big and persisted with its functional organizational structure. And be, being relatively naive around managerial structures, I was just like, oh, well, I like Apple. They great, create great products. This divisional approach, uh, sorry, this functional approach must be the best way to do things. But uh, it's, it's this story and looking at all these tech companies and the products and the strategies they create and seeing like how Microsoft has dealt with it and how Nadella has managed to get Microsoft from where it was five years ago to now that really brings to light the importance of organizational structure and how it relates to strategy and culture. And that's why I find this whole tale and actually your article, I thought it was fantastic. It really brings it to light and why I find organizational structure so fascinating. Yeah. In this case, you know, the problem, the other big problem with this sort of functional organization that Balmer tried to get to, and again, just because the nature of Microsoft is so big, he could only ever get sort of halfway as it was. Mm. It, it, but it was never sort of it was never Apple esque in, in some respects. But the, the the big problem with that is for a company so infused with Windows to make mm. it functional is to basically infuse Windows everywhere. So I, I guess it yeah. was a smart move by Balmer if he wanted to achieve his goal of Windows being everywhere. But this is why the going so back explicitly to a divisional structure as Nadella did a couple years ago was critical because it lets you sort of quarantine Windows, right? Mm. It, it, that division was all Windows, all Windows, 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 Windows. But the key thing is the other two were insulated from that by virtue of yep. being in different divisions with different P&Ls. Just, just they're, 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 that's what a divisional structure does. It separates different pieces that need to think about their markets differently. And, and, and to your point, there is no structure that is better or worse than any other. Mm. It, just like there's no sort of strategy that's better or worse than the other, or no culture that's better or worse than the other. Success comes from getting all the pieces in line and getting the right structure for the strategy that you have. And to my sort of rambling point previously, to the nature of, of what you are as a company. Yeah. And I mean, I just to be explicit, because there are probably some folks who are listening and like, what is the difference between a divisional and a functional org structure? Functional is when the organization is built around the functions of like marketing, like engineering, uh, uh, operations. It's, it's like the, you organize people in those functions and then you pull them out to do certain projects. Right. To build, a, pro- to build a product, you, you have to work cross functionally. So you have to build teams yeah. across it. And this is, this is what Apple does. Like the, the, there's no iPhone division. There's a coordination across the different parts of the company to get an iPhone out the door. Right, which works really well in small organizations when you just have one product. But it's rather unusual for an organization to be very big and to maintain that structure. You start to get into something that looks much more like Microsoft structure, which is built more around products. Okay, we're going to have a Windows product. And then inside of that division, you have all the various functions that are required to successfully put that out the door. Now, it sounds like a it sounds like six of one, half dozen of another, but like the organizational incentives, like you get people at the head of a division and their incentive is to make the division successful, which is great during growth periods. But when you think about the decline of or, or, or trying to uh, create a new product that might threaten that division, like with Windows and the move to mobile, it, it may cause the incentives to be wrong in terms of what management focuses on. And the same can be with a functional structure. 
structure. Like you can, you can get people working in specific ways around a business model like Apple has in selling hardware. But if you need a different business model and you need to pull people out into a division because the nature of creating that is so different from what they're used to creating, the organization's just not capable of doing it. And this is a specific critique I've had of Apple. I wrote last year in or two years ago in Apple's organizational crossroads that the reason they struggle in services, I think organizational structure is a major part of that. They have a mm. company that by virtue of being functional, the entire company operates according to the same sort of heartbeat, if that makes sense, or the same mm-hmm. sort of like rhythm and the same sort of thinking. And everything is about getting that iPhone at the door every September. And ev- yeah. everything is organized around that, delivering the best possible final product at that moment in time. And, and the problem is that's not how services work. You don't deliver mm-hmm. a service and then it's done. And a service is you get it up there and you iterate and you build in you build a self-correcting, self-improving sort of product that the more people use it, the better it gets. And this is so this is just it's the exact opposite approach and view that goes into building an iPhone. It's, it's, it couldn't be more different. And the problem is when you have such a strict functional structure like Apple does, you're you're handicapping your ability to build iterative positive ever improving services because they're stuck in it's like wearing a straitjacket that, that straitjacket yeah. is like a it's like a, a, a enables products but it, it it disables the other one and, and my argument has never been that apple should move away from that structure in when it comes to building products it works beautifully for apple and apple is it, the reason why you're attracted to being a functional organization is because it was so clear how that mattered mm. to apple's success and apple was so clearly successful right it, but my argument has always been the key is keep that keep that for the vast majority of the company but take services take them out of the company as a whole and put them off to the side, which by the way, Apple already did with retail. Retail is its completely own separate organization Mm -hmm. that really has no connection to the rest of the company by and large. It's totally divisional. It's organized in a very sort of hierarchical sort of fashion. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you don't run stores like you build an iPhone. They're totally different businesses. And it's so frustrating that Apple clearly got it in the case of retail, but they, they never got it in the case of services. You have to build a different organization. And you can keep most of the company functional, but at a high level, you need this divisional, you need a separate division for services like in the, the services it's not about trying hard apple doesn't need to try harder to build good services mm-hmm. it's not about hiring people it's about putting them in the position to succeed and, and and apple to date hasn't done that yeah so the point about retail is so is is so well made like they figured out like the type of people you need running a store is going to be very different from the type of people that you need building an iPhone, therefore keep these divisions separate. And, if and you then, just to, the, the hierarchy and the decision-making process needs, yeah. to be, needs to be totally different. Yeah, and and this is the this is the exact same thing that they need to realize on serv- on the services front, and in the same way that Nadella used organizational structure as a mechanism to cause Windows to realize almost to fail, like this organize or, or Windows Mobile to like cut it off, like this organizational structure is the context in which it allows companies to succeed and fail at various things. And if you get that wrong, it doesn't matter how smart the people are that you have in there or how hard they work. They just won't be able to overcome the organizational context. And this is a really timely discussion because Apple 
like it was big news over the past week. They just hired uh, Google's former head of AI and machine learning. And in and of itself, pretty cool. But you want to make sure the organizational structure is right. Because otherwise, you throw the best people you can get at this problem. It won't solve it. Yeah, and I haven't written about it yet, but this is my this is my big take. So this is a preview, probably of a daily update. Sorry, but the key mm. thing is he's reporting to Tim Cook, and and like mm. that is he's not under OS, he's not under Craig Federighi, he's not under one mm-hmm. of the other organizations that is tuned to a sort of iPhone re- release schedule and approach to the world. And the key thing to this is is not simply about the sort of rhythm of of the company and the sort of like iterative approach, et cetera. It's a matter of accountability. The, the fact of the matter is mm-hmm. it's very difficult to, to to know who or what to blame for when Apple struggles in services because there, there's a million – you point fingers in a million directions. There was that article mm-hmm. in the information a few weeks ago about what, what was wrong with Siri and, and a lot of people in the Apple store are like, I, I don't know why I want to talk about it because it feels like a bunch of he said, she said. That's the problem. The mm-hmm. problem is right. there is no clear line of accountability and, and decision-making. Like This is all interconnected. Who is to blame for Siri? Who knows? That's a problem. Right. And, and this stuff is interconnected. If you don't have clear accountability, if you don't have distinct ways of working, and if you don't have ways to measure, then you're going to fail. Like, and that, that's just it's what's going to happen. Right. And I mean, again, like it was that accountability that Nadella managed to put onto the Windows exactly. people, even, even though they were the cultural guardians of Windows. And they once they had accountability, they had no choice but to make the decision to kill Windows Mobile. And that's the equivalent that needs to be created on Apple with Apple and services, but on the positive rather than the negative side. Like you need to give them the accountability and the space that comes with accountability, your own decisions, and and to create an operating rhythm that's suited to services in order to let the organization succeed. And the fact that Tim Cook has made it made him report in separately, uh, it's promising. It's I, I don't know. It's enough in and of itself. There's all this other stuff that needs to go into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We need to wait and see. Is he going to actually have his own organization? Like that's going to be a critical critical question. And you know, the other thing is is. You know, you're right to say this is a positive thing for Apple because the the real the real sort of problem for Apple when it comes to Siri is it's very easy to manufacture numbers that make Siri look good. But the mm. reality is those numbers, usage and questions, all sort of stuff, are driven by the iPhone. It's because the iPhone is successful yeah. that those numbers are large. And as long as Siri is mixed in with everything else, you won't be able to draw the clear distinction right. about whether it's successful or not successful. There is one more point, uh, just to kind of reiterate the fact that this stuff matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this in passing. I kind of want to double down on it, that mm. Microsoft is still actually very dependent on Windows. And, and what mm. I mean is, like, what is the Azure strategy? The core of the Azure strategy is that they can help organizations that have been built up on Windows Server previously mm-hmm. and on, on, on premise sort of, you know, installations to move to the cloud sort of gradually. And they can do sort of hybrid installs. They can have half here and half there and can move along. If you think about it, all those customers are, are in the position to be served well by the strategy because of Windows. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Same thing with Office 365. Right. Like at the end of the day, the reason why Microsoft even has an offering here that's competitive is not on its own merits. Per se, it, it, it's because they started on Windows, then they had Office, and they had enterprise agreements, and then they moved up to Office 365. And and where they're at today is still 
like Windows is still there. It's very much there. It's still sort of integral to strategy. And the, the big worry for Microsoft in the long run, and this was a worry for IBM. IBM was was big and they could offer these sort of services. But what happened when 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 that wasn't enough anymore? When the cloud came along, IBM was like, uh, no, we're never be disrupted. People are going to always need database mm-hmm. installations. What happened when they didn't? Like IBM is, is declining revenue for like 20 quarters in a row or something like that. And, and Microsoft is in a danger, the same sort of place. They are choosing the absolute right strategy for today, but that strategy for today is still Windows dependent. What is the reason for a new company that never mm-hmm. experienced Windows, that never was on Windows, to choose Microsoft? Like if, yeah. if you are starting a company today and and maybe you use a PC, but the Windows is not even – it's not a leverage point anymore. If, if, if Windows ne- – if, if Microsoft never achieved a point of leverage on you – why would you ever choose Microsoft? Well, the only reason is going to be that their services develop to such a point that they're competitive with all the organizations that don't rely on Windows as a leverage point to sell to existing customers. And that's the place that they need to go to to make sure that they're successful in the long run. Yeah, but but if your business, if you're, they're the only sort of, I talked about the companies I've heard about the most, the big five companies, you mm-hmm. know, a- Apple mm-hmm. and Google and Facebook and Amazon and Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Microsoft's the only one where all their businesses are competitive businesses. Like they don't have that that centerpiece that gives them leverage. Google has search. They're dominant and they can use that mm-hmm. to leverage. Facebook has the network. They can use that as leverage. Amazon has its infrastructure and, and logistics layer and, and, and distribution center layer, like the, the physical layer we talked about a few weeks ago. That gives them leverage. If Apple has the iPhone, they like we talked about. They have a monopoly on on iOS, which which sounds mm-hmm. kind of silly, but if you think about it, it gives Apple. That's why Siri can have the success it does because it's right. built into iOS. What does Microsoft have? It's great that they're competing, but they don't have a point of leverage. They had Windows. And they, that's, exactly. That's all they. That's all they have, and like the basis on which they're. I mean, it becomes a basis of like you need to do the best you can given that. And but that's hard. It's the, hard to compete it's despite really being hard. the best. Like it's hard and, to compete without leverage. Yeah, and I mean, this is I mean, this is interesting because we've drawn a parallel between uh, Windows and um, uh, well, Microsoft and Apple, and I think there's another one here, which is like the end of Windows. There's going to be a point in the future where iOS faces a similar fate and it's going to be really interesting to think about what apple then uses as as its point of leverage going forward because this thing keeps replaying as companies move up the stack and growth happens in different places it's a cycle that will continue on end and just keep going and keep going and keep going yeah i mean you you can see it for all them the same thing for 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 google and facebook this is this is the this is the route that companies take and this is where the ibm comparison is is an interesting one because i mean Mm -hmm. ibm at the end of the day ibm is is been a remarkably well-managed company and that they went from their monopolistic position which is back in the 60s and 70s and they've they sort of degraded so gracefully if mm-hmm. you know where they, they yes they faded in the 80s or the 90s Luke Gershner came along and sort of understood the nature of the company was able to change the culture and sort of point them forward that carried them but it carried them for only about 15 years and now there's a real sort of like fundamental question like what's the purpose of this of this company mm-hmm. in the long run and you know you can see you can see us podcasting in 10 years where Microsoft's revenue is 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 fall, falling, it's like what like what next? Like we played out we played out the card as long as we could. Now what? 
Yeah, and we might not be podcasting because that might be gone too. <laughs> we'll see. We will see. Anyhow, uh, mm. Microsoft's surprisingly popular. Hopefully this, hopefully this podcast will be as popular as, as the as We'll the post. see. <laughs> we, Indeed. Anyhow, our thanks to WordPress.com for sponsoring Exponent as they do every week. And I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Good to have you back. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye.